and that's Jesus. And of course, when we sing, oh, come let us adore him, we're talking about this Jesus. And you know, for 2,000 years, across 2,000 years, millions of people have adored Jesus. And actually, that's quite weird. As a historical fact, for millions of people across 2,000 years to adore a baby born in a stable somewhere is quite surprising. Israel at the time of Jesus is about the size of Wales, and Bethlehem is a small village. So basically, it's the equivalent of in 2,000 years' time, people still adoring a baby born today in a small Welsh village. Jesus left no writings. He had no great wealth. He wasn't involved in any big building projects. That's what people are often remembered for. He had no physical children even. And yet for 2,000 years, people have loved him and adored him and worshipped him. No one still adores Caesar, the emperor at the time. No one still adores Herod, the king of the area. But for 2,000 years, people have adored Jesus. I want to ask the question tonight, why is that? And maybe that's a question you can relate to. Maybe you think, I love Christmas. I love the time off work. I love the food. I love the drink. I love the time with my family. I love the presents. But the Jesus bit, I just don't quite get it. Well, I think there's no better place we can start to try and answer this question, why do people adore Jesus, than the Christmas story itself. Because it's in the Christmas story that we first find people adoring Jesus. And we're going to look at this in a book that was found in the Bible called Matthew. And Matthew is one of the four different accounts we have of Jesus' life. Four different guys, after Jesus had died and been risen again, wrote from their own kind of perspectives, four different accounts. And Matthew's writing only about 40 years after Jesus has died and risen again. So his history writing goes, that's really not a long time. And he starts off by telling us that an angel comes to a young girl called Mary. And much to Mary's surprise, she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. And the angel says, you're going to call this baby Jesus. And the reason is that this baby is going to save people from their sins. He's going to save people from the, the condemnation they deserve for the things they've done wrong. And that's what his name means. Jesus means Yahweh saves. And Yahweh is the name of God revealed in the Bible. And then Matthew also tells us this baby is going to be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. In this baby, God himself was coming down to be with human beings on the earth. And so the baby comes, and then Matthew tells us about some of the first visitors who come to see him. And that's why I want to pick up the story. I'm going to read a few bits and unpack it for us a bit. So this is from the second chapter of uh, Matthew's Gospel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. It all starts with Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's kind of in the south of Israel at the time, with the capital, Jerusalem, being a little higher up. And this all happens in the time of King Herod. King Herod is on the throne at this moment in Jerusalem. And we need to know about King Herod to get the story. At this point, he's been ruling about 40 years, so pretty good going for that time. He was a clever guy who kept good terms with the Romans, the people in charge. He had some very successful big building projects, but he always struggled with a bit of paranoia. And by this point in his life, when he's kind of nearing the end, he became quite ill. He became so paranoid, he ended up killing his wife, a couple of his children, and even had a load of men brought into Jerusalem. And he said, on the day that I die, you are to kill all these men to make absolutely certain there will be mourning and lamentation and wailing and crying in the city on the day I die. King Herod wasn't, to put it bluntly, the nicest of people. But to King Herod come these wise men. 
Now, these wise men were probably astrologers. They're people who looked up at the stars and they tried to decipher what they meant to read messages in the stars. And they've seen something special, something different. And somehow they know this star means a new king has been born. And so they think, well, a new king, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the capital city. You're going to go to the palace because that's where kings and queens live. So that's what they do. They head over to meet Herod. They go and ask him, where is the newborn king? And notice they say the reason they've come is because they want to worship him. They know already there's something special about this baby who's been born. They've come to adore him. And then Matthew continues, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, every, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. When Herod hears from these wise men that a new king's been born, he's a bit confused. He's a bit worried because if there's a new king, that should be his kid. And all he sees in the news of a new king is competition. And so he gathers together the ruling authorities and all the legal experts, and he says, I need you to go and check for me. Where is the promised king going to be born? He says, where's the Messiah going to be born? Now, the Messiah was the king whom God had promised all throughout the Old Testament. He promised that he would come and would rescue his people. And they come back and they say, oh, yeah, the Messiah, he's going to be born down in Bethlehem. Not in the capital city, not in the palace, but down in Bethlehem. And so Herod summons the wise men back. Matthew tells us, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Herod claims that he wants to go and adore this baby too. He wants to know the time the star appeared. He wants to know where this baby is. But actually, it turns out, if you know how the story goes on, he wasn't very genuine. Given what we know about Herod, it might not be surprising. Actually, he wants this baby gone. He wants this competing king out of the way. And later, he's going to command that all the babies in the area are to be killed because he's so scared of a new king. Herod doesn't respond with adoration. He only responds with rejection and with violence. He only sees in Jesus competition. But after this, Matthew tells us, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men set off again. The star starts moving and it rests over Bethlehem. It shows them where to look. And they search around the town and they find the baby. And they kneel before this baby and they worship him. They adore him and they give him gifts of gold and expensive perfumes. They're worshipping this newborn baby. But why? I don't know about you, but when I was born, as far as I know, no kind of fancy people turned up. No one knelt down next to my bed. No one worshipped me. It doesn't happen to many of us. Why were they worshipping this newborn baby? Well, I think the clues in this story we've heard... I think the clue is in the title given to Jesus. The wise men come and they say, Jesus is a new king. He's the king of the Jews. And that's the thing that the wise men accept, but that Herod rejects. 
And, you know, that was what they were expecting. They were expecting a king to come and rescue them. But actually, even though they say it's the king of the Jews, the amazing thing is you read Matthew's story, as you read the New Testament, is actually Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of all. Jesus is the king of all people who comes for all people. And I think this is the kind of clue which gives us the answer because it appears in one other place in Matthew's book. About 30 years later, the little baby has grown into a man and stands before the Roman governor in Jerusalem, the most powerful, most important guy in the area. And this guy, Pilate, he says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you've said so. And even though they can't find any reason to find any wrongdoing in Jesus, he's handed over to the executioners. A few moments later, he's hanging on a Roman cross, and over his head there's a big sign that says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And all the people who followed Jesus and got excited and said, this is the one, this is the king, this is the one who's come to rescue us, they think it's all over. As Jesus breathes his last death, they think, his last breath, they think, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe he was confused. He's not the one. It's all over. But then three days later, something incredible happens. Some women go to the tomb where they, with their own eyes, had seen Jesus' body laid, where they'd seen a huge stone put to block the wall, where they'd seen Roman centurions, scary soldiers, placed to guard the tomb. And they find the soldiers gone, the stone gone. They go in, and there's nothing there. But an angel appears and says, why are you looking for Jesus here? Jesus, he says, is not dead. Jesus is alive. And then Matthew tells us, as they went to leave the garden where this tomb was, they bumped into Jesus himself, and he says they came up, they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. They adore Jesus because they realize who he is, and they realize what he had done. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us an excuse for a party once a year, as good as it is. Jesus didn't actually come to tell us how to live. He didn't come to tell us to kind of reach harder and try and reach out to God. He actually came basically to tell us we couldn't do that, but that he could come, and he did come to save and to rescue us. You see, Christmas is a rescue story. Christmas is the greatest rescue story that has ever been in all of history. Because right at the beginning, God had made a perfect world. And everything was perfect. And we as humans had a perfect relationship with God. And everything worked perfectly. It was wonderful and enjoyable. But then we as humanity said, actually, we don't want to go God's way. We're going to go our own way. I'm going to make my own choices. God knows best. He's the all-wise one. He's the one who made us. He's the one who planned this for us. But I'm going my own way. I'm going over here. We did our own thing. We ignored him. Ultimately, we adored other things rather than adoring the God who'd made us. And when that happened, everything was shattered. That perfect relationship between us and God becomes shattered. The perfect world becomes broken. Sickness and pain and death and loneliness and all the things we hate come into the world because we turned away from God. But then thousands and thousands of years later, a baby comes. A baby comes, and he's the first person, the only person ever who lives a perfect life, the only person who never turns away, never decides to go his own way, but always goes God's way. And then he dies a death he doesn't deserve, hanging on a Roman cross. But three days later, he's raised again. He was dying a death that we deserve, but doing it so that we wouldn't have to. And now he's risen, he's alive, 
and he offers forgiveness. He offers restoration. And one day he's going to recreate all of this and all the sad things we hate, all the pain, all the sickness, all the sorrow is going to be taken away. Every sad thing will be undone because of what Jesus did. So why did the wise men adore Jesus? Why for 2,000 years have millions of millions of people adored Jesus? It's because they'd realized that in Jesus, God himself was stepping down into the muck and the mess of human history to rescue us from ourselves and to restore us to relationship with himself. When we get who Jesus is, when we get what Jesus has done, when we get what Jesus offers us, the only fitting response is to cry, oh, come, let us adore him. Maybe we're here today and you adore Jesus. You've adored Jesus maybe for years, for months, for weeks. Let me encourage you this Christmas, think again on the glorious rescue that Jesus came to rescue you and adore him. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never really thought about Jesus. You've kind of heard about him and not known much about him. You thought he's not very relevant. But maybe you're thinking, actually, I want to know more. Maybe it's worth just taking one point in your life when you think, I'm going to look into this guy, what he said, what he did. If these millions of people for 2,000 years have adored him, have given up their lives for him often, have died for him, maybe it's worth exploring. If that's you, we've got an event which is perfect for you, running very early uh, in the new year in January. Just a chance to explore the question, is there more to this? There'll be someone giving a talk a bit like this, telling you a bit about Jesus. There'll be a chance to discuss with other people, to ask questions, just in a really relaxed atmosphere. It's just one evening, one evening to give up, to explore this big question. If you're interested, you think you want to know more, you want to just find out about this one that we adore, come along to that event. I'd really encourage you. You can sign up, you can book in at the information desk, which is just around the corner later tonight. Or when you leave, there'll be some of our stewards handing out some flyers, which look a bit like this. And on there, you'll find a web address in the back where you can go and will give you more details and uh, you can book in online. But let me encourage you, if you think, yeah, I need to explore this, I want to find out more, get this in your diary and get booked in before Christmas. Because we all know that Christmas comes along and everything else gets pushed out of our minds. We come to January and I'm kind of like, what happens now? So if you want to come on to this, get it in your diary now. Don't miss this opportunity to explore the one we adore. I'm going to invite the band to come back up now. The band are going to perform a fantastic song for us called uh, Salvation is Here, which talks about this wonderful story of rescue. Let me just encourage you as we listen, as we think about these words, think on what I've said. Think on this Jesus. Over to you, band. <laughs> 